two weeks ago, uh, in the book of James, the, the passage was about, come now, come now, you uh, planners, you traders, you, you, not traders like traders, but traders, you're, you're in business, come now and remember the will of God and submit to his will. Okay, so it's kind of a, this come now, uh, James uses, um, so we're, we're in James chapter 5, if you're wondering where we're going, we're in James chapter 5, and uh, if you need a Bible, please pull out one in front of you there, in the book of James, it's uh, page 1013, 1013, if you're using your pew Bible, but uh, so... Yeah, two weeks ago is about uh, this reasoning. Come now, you business owners, you planners, you traders, and do so. Do your business by the will of God. Submit to the will of God. Submit to that. Let's, let's look at the fact that He is sovereign and it's His will. And uh, I guess last week we could say Bill came forth and uh, said, Come now, you citizens, and vote. And pray. I listened to the message uh, upon returning home and I just, it was tremendous. What a blessing. But I tell you, I'm really upset here. In 20 some years of preaching, I never got an applause. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I thought that was wonderful. That is great. No complaints here. None at all. So, but uh, you know what? All of us are concerned about our country. And if any time was a great time to fast, listen, to fast and pray, now is the time. Give that thought. It's not like we uh, brag about it, tell others about it, but now would be a great time to fast and pray. And every time you think of a Snickers bar, turn it around and say, hey, I want to pray for my country. I want to pray for my nation. I want to pray that God would uh, do what he says he will, and that is rule and reign. And no matter what happens, again, uh, like Bill had mentioned, we, we just need to trust God and keep our eyes fixed on him. So two weeks ago, come now, you business owners, you planners. Last week, come now, you citizens, and vote. And this week, James chapter 5, he uses the same phrase, come now, you rich. So he's gone into now dealing with the rich. And we have to understand uh, a little bit about what God thinks about wealth. What does God think about wealth? And it's very important that we come to understand throughout, cover to cover in the Bible, what God's idea of wealth is about. And a lot of us think, well, my goodness, you know, isn't love of money the root of all evil? So we better be poor. Well, each and every one of us in this room have a real problem then because each and every one of us are rich. The person in this room that makes the lowest amount of money, the very lowest amount of money, the person in this room, you are totally rich compared to the rest of this world. And we need to think in that way. A lot of times we just think in in terms of Western civilization. We think in terms of uh, Fallon America. We think in terms of the Western United States. And we don't think in terms of the world. 
and the person that makes the, you know, whatever lowest amount of money here in this room, you are richer than anyone else in this world. And so it's important that we understand God's view of wealth and really simply stated, God does not, God's not really caring about your net worth. God doesn't care about your net worth. What does God care about? Well, we're going to find out here in this passage really how you got it and how you spend it. Okay? So it's important that we understand that part of it. Because obviously, you know, you think in Scripture, how many wealthy people were there? Well, Abraham, the father of faith. Oh, my goodness. You know, he was a very wealthy man. But that didn't make him sinful. That made him a steward of God gave him, right? And so throughout this message, we need to think in terms, you know, when we think of riches and wealth and all that, we need to immediately go to the idea of stewardship. Am I being a faithful steward with what God's given me, no matter how much or how little that is? So I've looked at this passage. It's just six verses. It's not a lot of uh, encouragement for you believers in fact, many commentators say this is not even addressed to Christians here. These five verses, or six verses, he's really speaking more to the ungodly wealthy. That many believing Christians had to respond to, had to uh, work for. And so... James starts in by saying, in chapter 5 of verse 1 in James, follow along with me. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. It's not exactly a, a time of, uh, you know, real encouragement for us as Christians here. That, that's very, very, very strong, strong, stern, prophetic language. And it'd be real easy to just jump and say, hey, let, let's talk about verse 7. Okay? Let's be patient, you know, and uh, uh, till the coming of the Lord. Let's talk about the coming of the Lord. That's much better. But I'd be in trouble, it, or Pastor Brennan would be in trouble, or Chris, or, we'd be in trouble if we jumped over it. Because we want to preach the, the Word of God. And this is the Word of God. And again, I believe that it is taking a bit of a switch now to talk to or about the wealthy rich who are ungodly, who have chosen not to follow Christ, that are very... Uh, effective in their 
worldly ways and their business ways and all. But yet, why is it in James then? Why is this message here in the book of James? So that Christians would, what? Follow along and track along and pay attention. And thus be good stewards of what God has given you. So the message that uh, we're going to go after here is split into two parts. Uh, On your worksheet or your outline, part one is on the front and part two is on the back. Warnings to the rich and blessings for the rich. Okay, and that Roman numeral two, blessings for the rich, is really something that I think is important to add in as we discuss these verses So really, verses 1 through 6 are on the front of your outline in outline form. And so we want to start with, what are the warnings to the rich, to the ungodly rich? Well, we start in verse 1 of coming condemnation. There's a coming condemnation. There's a coming judgment. In particular, for people who have wasted their wealth. You say... Well, what do you mean? They can spend it in maybe very humanitarian ways, but it's not for what? It's not for the glory of God and for the advancement of God's kingdom. See, in the end, that's what God's concerned about, isn't it? Look at verse 1 there. Come now, you rich, weep and howl. That's the response there ought to be. Weep and howl. James has directed this passage to people who have gained a great amount of wealth and then turn it, they've turned it into their primary pursuit in life or their passion in life. That's all they're about. And many of you, you know, you've either struggled with that yourself, right? Or you know of others that, that are just up to their ears in it. That's all they can think about. It's to people that, who really have no faith and have no regard for Christ and the things of Christ. They pursued wealth to the neglect of repentance and faith in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. James calls them to weep and howl for what? Well, there's going to be misery for them. That's, that's their vision. Their vision is focused on, on their wealth, on their, their um, happiness in, in money, in possessions. Does that ring a bell? Does that speak to your heart? I think all of us can understand that issue and that concern. All of us know. When I buy a new car, when I buy this or that new item, uh, A, you know, I feel a lot better. I like it. I invested my, I think I invested my money wisely. And I feel better. It it is. It's got an emotional tug. But see, God has called you, Christian, to be separate from the world and its ways, its principles. That doesn't mean you, you earn money and then give it all away. However, however, it doesn't matter. Just give it, give it, give it. Because, you know, it's more blessed to, what? Give than to receive. So, oh, I give, give, give. No, well, that, that doesn't show wisdom on your part. You know, you need to be a wise steward, right? So, 
there's, a com- there's this warning of a coming condemnation. They're not going to gain anything before God since their motive was self. They were in it for self. There's a second warning of a guaranteed corruption. There's a guaranteed corruption coming of things. Okay. Now, the common view back then was that riches were a sign of God's favor. Do you hear that in preaching nowadays? Television preachers pointing out that, you know, um, you've got to have more faith and, um, and get more goods in your bank account or goods in your home or whatever. You know, it's the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Well, I, I think most of you are alert to that. I hope you are. You better be alert to it. And I, I hope and pray that if you are watching that at home on the TV, that you'll stop watching those preachers. That is not a wise approach to the gospel. It's a false approach to the gospel. And we need to be alert to that. You know, the elders don't run around to each and every home making sure you're not watching that stuff. We're not going to do that. But you need to. You need to have discernment in that way. Okay? So this warning, the second warning of guaranteed corruption, you see it in verse 2 and 3. Your riches have... Look at that. Rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And there's a representation of those. Here's a sign of wealth and riches. It's what you have stored up, your clothes, and gold and silver. Those, those were signs of wealth back in the day. Okay? And specifically, that first one could be even seen as even like food and grain that you have stored up. So, under number two, there's things that spoil. That's the first one, letter A. Things that spoil. Your riches have rotted. It's an interesting word there. Sapo is the Greek root word. Sapo. Where do you, what do you think uh, we get in our English language there? Hmm. Can you say septic? Yeah, septic. That's, I think, where we get our English word you know, is from this idea, this concept. Things have gone putrid. Okay? Your, the things that you have, they'll, they'll go putrid. They'll, they'll be rotted. Okay? Letter B. There's things that will wear out or fade away or deteriorate. Garments here, in this next section here, um, your garments are moth-eaten we understand that's, that, that was a real issue, a real problem. You know, moth, silent, behind the scenes, you couldn't hear them, but eaten away at, at clothes. <laughs> and there, it was specifically about their outer garments is the word that's used in the Greek there. The, their outer garments that everyone could see. Well, see, that's, that's a status symbol, right? It's how we, we know that. There's nothing wrong with dressing nice. But if that's what you're promoting about your reputation and who you are, well, then we've got problems again. That's what the rich and, and wealthy, ungodly people did. It was all about their garments. 
Well, they'll be moth-eaten. They'll wear out. They'll fade away. They'll deteriorate. Number or Letter C, things that corrode. Or uh, even a better word may be cankered. Things that will canker. Canker sores, things like that. That's what uh, gold and silver... Rusted is another word that the, the translators use. Rusted. You say, wait a minute. You know, I, I can argue that gold and silver never, never go bad. And really, they, they don't lose their, their value, etc., etc. All those arguments about gold and silver, right? That's true, but what's, James ev- what's the point of James' argument here? What is he getting at? Why does he seem to go against common sense? He's saying that saying riches in the hands of ungodly, unbelieving, self-centered people will rust, will corrode. That's what it really, it's a waste. Why? Because they've been used for selfish gain, selfish purposes. With no regard for God's kingdom, with no regard for God's glory. The rust, in verse 3, the corroded state will stand as a witness against you. Again, who? The ungodly, wealthy individual. They'll be consumed. It'll consume your flesh like fire. Thus, there will be retribution. Here's this ongoing subject that we see glimpses of here that, oh, by the way, James's half-brother Jesus talked about quite a bit didn't he? Gnashing of teeth. Spending an eternity in in fire. Away from God. That's something that Jesus brought to our attention in the Gospels. You know, I want to direct your uh, attention there to Luke chapter 16. In fact, I'll just mention that later. It's coming up. But the point here with this, it, the second warning, the guarantee of corruption, is that things are temporary. Things are diminishing. That's the nature of riches. You know, we've often said, you know, you see a, a funeral procession going on and there's no U-Haul trailers added on to the, the guy's hearse. He's not packing stuff up to take with him. So that causes us Christians to evaluate, how am I really looking at life? What am I really considering? What's going on in my thinking about my wealth, my storage stuff, my, you know, all that I have that relates to this, to this topic? Remember, we've been called in Colossians 3, mark it down if you'd like, Colossians 3, 2 and 3, set our minds on things above, where Christ is. Set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Another reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18 says, Look not at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. You're an eternal being. You, every one of you, we are eternal beings. 
it's either going to be in glory in heaven with God and His worship or in hell. Separated from God for eternity. So, what kind of worth, what kind of value are you putting on your possessions in light of eternity? How much time do you spend looking at the stock market? How much time do you spend looking at your financial portfolio, wondering and worrying about it? How much time are you looking at yourself in the mirror? You know, most homes nowadays have walk-in closets. When I was a kid, we didn't have that. You know, that was a place to go hide from my brother when I was in trouble or something, you know. We didn't have any walk-in closets, it seemed like, back then. Now it's like everyone has a walk-in closet. Why? I've got a huge amount of clothes. You know, you have a huge amount of clothes. Now, is that wrong? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. That's not the point. The point is the heart. Your heart. You know, and where are things really at when it comes to this kind of an issue? And really, in light of that, how much time do I spend looking at my finances, my saving, my retirement, etc., etc.? How much time do I spend looking at myself? Oh, I've got to change this outfit. No, that outfit. How much time do I spend in, wor- in the Word? How much time do I spend in prayer? And folks, I'm not, I, I simply want to encourage all of us to spend time in prayer. To spend time in the Word apart from a Sunday, along with Sunday. We do it on Sunday. Let's do it every day of the week. God's going to speak your heart. God's going to minister and bless your heart. And through His Holy Spirit indwelling His children, He will guide you, help you, strengthen you, help you to have victory over sin, all of that. Be in the Word, be in prayer. Okay, warnings to the rich. Okay, you notice in verse 6 there, what it's saying. I'm jumping ahead here. I want to go to number 3. That's where we're going. Number 3, this next warning is a warning of covetousness and contempt. They go together. If I get so concentrated on what I want and what I have, covetousness... This passage is is showing that there can be a a switch into contempt for others. A contempt for others. It's a prevailing attitude in the hearts and minds of the ungodly rich. It can be an attitude in the Christian's mind also. If you're not in the Word, if you're not walking with the Lord, you say you know the Lord and yet this attitude shows up and pops up, Someone can say, are you really a believer? Someone could question that. Why not? Because you're looking more like an unbeliever with your attitude about things. And so this prevailing attitude is seen in verse 3c, the end of verse 3. You have laid up treasure in the last days. What's another word for that? Under letter A, hoarding. You're hoarding. Okay. Now, storing up things is fine, you know, having some extra, you know, items, that's fine. Are you ready and willing to share with others in need? 
you know. But as with so many things, it can go to extremes. Okay? And we've got to be on the alert for that. Letter B, under number three. Letter B, it goes on to say in verse four, Behold, the wages of the workers or the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they're crying out against you. So letter B is defrauding or cheating others. You know, again, that shows, here's, here's reference to um, like a businessman, a wealthy businessman. You've got workers out in the field doing your work. Their pay has been withheld. And you go study the Old Testament laws and regulations of paying your workers. That was their life. That was their, that was their existence. What do you see in the book of Ruth? You know, leaving a section of the field for who? Don't, don't glean that section over there. Leave it. Leave it for who? The poor. Those who did the work in the field, they are not getting paid. See, and this attitude that starts in the heart with covetousness just comes forth more and more. Uh, we won't pay them this time. They'll, they'll get by. They'll get by. Wrong. And then it's added in with letter C, self-indulging. Self-indulging. Look at verse 5. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. Folks, all of us have luxury. All of us have luxury here. Again, compared to what the rest of the world is going through, I can go find a glass of water right now. Look at that. That's a treasure to some people. We've got it really, we've got it so well. And I'm not trying to say, you know, sell your possessions, sell your house and go live in a a woodshed on the end of the dirt road. I'm not saying that. It comes back to what did I say at the beginning? Stewardship. Godly, wise stewardship. But self-indulging, look at what it says there. You've lived in a luxurious way on the earth and in self-indulgence. You've, uh, other versions say this. You have led a life of wanton pleasure. Just more and more. Just whatever you want, you go get. Because you want it, go for it, brother. Go for it, sister. No big deal. And then it leads to this last one, letter D, oppressing others. Oppressing. Habits of the heart lead to habits of the hands. And treatment of the poor in this kind of manner is likened unto what? Treatment of the poor in this way is likened unto what? What is verse uh, 6, 5 telling Yeah, verse 6 telling you. You've condemned, you have murdered the righteous. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know, the, the right, uh, unrighteous rich man can say, I've never murdered anyone. But this is his point. You have by the way you've treated them. They've taken away their pay. They withhold the very thing that the poor need to survive. 
So this is a description of how those centered on their wealth can treat others. And God says they're living like ignorant animals. Really? I don't see anything about animals here. Well, yeah, look at the end of verse 5. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Like a, an ignorant cow just eating and eating, just put into a lush pasture, just eating, eating, eating. The next thing you know, he's getting on, put, put on a trailer and taken where? Taken to the slaughterhouse. That's the comparison that James uses. James isn't being uh, a nilly-willy here. He is speaking the truth and confronting the, the rich and the wealthy. It's like a New Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophets, they're just in the face of the ungodly, in the face of, of people who are doing idolatry, all sorts of things like that. They fatten themselves up, not knowing of the what? The coming judgment of God. God's righteous judgment. And this is where I want to mention Luke 16. Uh, just jot it down. We won't look it up. But Luke 16, verses 24 and 25, where the rich man dies. And Lazarus dies. And where does Lazarus go? He goes to Abraham's bosom, a picture of heaven. And the wealthy man is crying out for lack of comfort. Lack of comfort. And then he just says, you know, hey, can somebody come and give me a little bit of water here? Nope. You know what? We don't like to talk about this stuff, but there's no more mercy. Let that sink in. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And that challenges you and I. I know this is somber, you know, sobering and all. It's, it's hard to preach it. It's hard to realize I've got areas in my own life. You've got areas in your life that we need to bring under, you know, to the cross and bring it to the Lord and submit it to Him and confess it. We've all kind of gone along the current of a wealthy Western civilization. And we like it. And sometimes we want to defend it, you know. Don't you mess up my, my plan? Well, maybe your plan is not what God's plan is for you. So we need to come back to submitting to His way. So an important passage that we need to look at is that the end of chapter 4. I know I'm jumping around here a little bit, but we want to come back to the end of verse 4. This is crying out against you. This testimony of you keeping payback by way of fraud. And this is crying out against you, verse 4, and the cries of the harvesters typically fall flat and no one wants to hear and no one cares. They fall on deaf ears. Guess what? The Lord, the Lord of the Sabbath hears. That's not Sabbath. It's Sabaoth. And another way to say it, some of the translations have it this way, the Lord of hosts. Oh, the Lord of hosts. Referring to God and His almighty power. The fact that He's the host, He's the Lord of the 
armies of God. We know that. We, we acknowledge that. He's almighty in his power. He is sovereign in his ways. He defends his people. And you know what else he does? And you know what else he will do? He will punish the wicked. And you say, is this what the Bible says is really wicked? Just withholding pay from somebody? That's that bad? No, here's, again, here's the heart of the issue. It's continued on, growing, going in that direction, away from God, under just a humanistic kind of a way, a secular kind of a way. He will judge righteously in every single case. That's how great God is. He's not going to miss a beat. He's not going to miss it. In every single case, God will judge righteously. So I hope that causes some of the fear of God to stir up in our hearts about how we're spending our money, how we're using our wealth and all. Roman numeral 2, the blessings for the rich believers. Christ's followers are to show wise and godly stewardship. When believers truly apply the truth of God's word to their lives, especially in dealing with riches, oh, by the way, if you'll take time to count up how often Christ talks about money and the poor, wealth and the poor, it's not just a little bit. It's a lot. A lot of times he's bringing that up and talking about that. So what we see, what I believe we can see here, the blessings are, are, is this. It, let, number four, the certainty of charity. When you and I apply the truth of God's word regarding our riches, regarding our expenses and our, our, all that we do in that realm, charity is going to surface. The charity, we say charity, what, what do we mean there? Here's love. Love towards God and love towards others. And by the way, history proves this out. Think of it, of Christian charity, especially back east. You know, how many hospitals were built back in the day in the name of Christ? How many schools were built in the name of Christ? They started this way. Hospitals, schools, adoption centers, yeah? All sorts. Uh, in the name of Christ, built. People had great motivation back there to honor the Lord. So, here's a couple of verses and a couple of thoughts for letter A, the counsel for managing your wealth. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys. Gee, I wonder where James got moth-eaten from. <laughs> Again, his understanding of what Jesus had taught. Okay? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Right? That's the idea. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6-10, through 10, Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we can t- cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires. Okay? The love of money is a root of all evil. Not the root, but 
a root of all evil. That's where we get that from, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So, under letter, under num, uh, letter A, number 4, is, you know, don't be consumed by your wealth. You know, you might get a great job. You're, you know, young people, your first job out of college might be a great paying job. But don't be consumed by it. Learn to live within your means. Don't use the credit card all the time. Most of you understand this, but it's important to say, especially for the young people. And then give according to your means. Not just live within your means, give according to your means. And then we can add on to it. Add on to letter A with letter B, the counsel for mastering your wealth. It just comes back to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And then this breakdown in, uh, from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, if you read that, we can see these points here. Reject the arrogance or, or the prideful attitudes. Okay? Reject the press of prideful attitudes. And then stop fixing your hope on the riches. Fix your hope on God. And through that, if we were to look and see what that says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 21, the verse goes on to say, but on God, in other words, fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And this is part of the thing of learning and growing in, in, in the faith, learning that God will provide your need. I don't know how many times in my life I've run off thinking, oh, I've got to go do this, I've got to buy this, I've got to get that, because I, I'm worried. You, ne- you never do that, do you? Run off just because you're worried and go buy something. Maybe it's a thing of saying, I- I'm going to trust God for this. I don't really need that. I'll, I'll trust God. I'll pray about it. <laughs> oh, what a concept. Okay? So... Then the final one I, I think is very important is demonstrate learning to demonstrate grace giving. Grace giving. Because God richly supplies us, richly supplies us with all that we need for all to, so we can enjoy it. Right? Richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So demonstrate grace giving. We think, oh, I tithe. What's a tithe? 10%. Well, that's good. That's a good principle to follow, right? It's a good principle. But Paul kind of shakes up our, our, our world with grace giving, doesn't he? No, I, I, I got to give 10%. That's, that's biblical. But Paul brings in the idea of grace giving. 2 Corinthians. And there might be a need that pops up in the body, in your neighborhood, at work, where you can minister in a way of grace giving. Okay? We're taught to give offerings as an act of worship, offering our money at offering time. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. That's the idea. And so we give to church Thank you for your faithful giving. It's for the ministry of sharing, not just for paying salaries at all. It's more for the... Here's the ministry of the gospel. 
that we are sharing the gospel here, that we're explaining the gospel in all its ways here so that we, believers, can be equipped to go out into the community and share the gospel. Just think, if we did that, and by next week, every one of us brought someone in that we shared the gospel with. Some think, oh, well, if the pastor would, you know, leave his desk and get out there. We have this room filled. <laughs> well, I need to do my part, and you need to do yours. And it, that's why we give. It's so the gospel will spread here and out there. And thank you for your faithful giving in, in regards to missions. I've never come across... Thank you, Lord, for blessing us. I, I want to be careful in what I say here. I've never come across a church this size that supports missionaries. You know, typically a church this size might have three or four or five missionaries. And again, I'm not getting braggadocious here. I thank God for what He's done in stirring up people. And I don't know how we got to this point. You know, how many missionaries we support. But praise the Lord. And that's a goal to keep after. That's a sight to keep your, your, your sights uh, focused on. I'm getting excited and mixed up here in my words. But this is good. So the giving of your, your, your money and the giving of your resources, the giving of your possessions for the cause of Christ. And you give to those in need, not just to church. It's grace giving in church. It's grace giving to those in need, those in our congregation maybe, those in our community, those at home, uh, in your neighborhood, those at work that you come across. And, you know, personal experiences. It's been amazing, you know, folks that have given to our daughter and her family in this time with little Olivia. Um, it's amazing that people have given so much in such, short, such a short time. And thank you for your prayers in, in that regard. Um, we'll be leaving this week to go down um, to be in Phoenix and uh, help with things. Livy starts her second round of chemotherapy. And... Um, we're going to go down and, and be of help in that way. Um, I want to encourage you that with this passage in James chapter 5, it, it's mentioned a number of times about the coming of the Lord. And that's what's going to happen next week, talking about the coming of the Lord. And that's what I want to really wrap up with here this morning. You know, we proclaim the Lord's death and until He returns by observing this. And the certainty, some of you might be wondering, what? where's point five? I want point five. <laughs> it's the certainty of His coming again. That's the, that's the blessing for us. You know, we're all... Um, how does that relate to riches? That's what drives you. This is the motivating factor. You know what? We serve a risen Savior. 
And I want to use my, my money in a godly way, in a wise way. And you know what? He's coming again. And do I want to be like the ungodly rich? No. It's, very, it's, a, it's a clear contrast. Okay? He will come again. I know it. You know why? He rose again from the grave. That's what Christianity, Christianity hinges on. He rose up from the grave. He's no longer there. He's not dead. He lives forevermore. That's the miracle of Christianity. He rose. He, he's alive. Okay? And so my life, your life, responds to that and says, Wow! <laughs> That's amazing! What he said is true. And I can build my life on that. I can have hope in that. I can overcome the, the, the snares and the toils of life. Why? Because he rose again from the grave. He lives. He lives.